Good morning, church. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Lewis. Ah, um, oh, come on, this is 10 o'clock service. Come on, guys. Come on, this ain't 9 o'clock no more. Let's go. <laughs> uh, so Matthew 4, uh, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. All right. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks, Sienna. Thank you, guys. Well, God, we just, we are grateful as your kids to sit under your word today. Give us discerning. Give us open hearts. Lord, let even familiar passages, stories uh, come to life to us today. Thank you that your word is a living word. We don't have to pray for your word to be alive, Lord. Sometimes I need to pray that my mind and my heart would be a little more alive. So, God, we just pray that as we would sit under your word today, that, Holy Spirit, you would bring to each one of our hearts what you're wanting to say to us. We trust you. We believe what Kathleen said, that you have words that you want to give us. You want to enter in and engage with us right now in the very practical places of our lives. So do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, this is a pretty familiar passage to probably most of us here that have been around the church very long time, and it's, it's really an awesome story in the midst of a bigger gospel story, and always remember that. You know, it's easy for us to kind of go back to the, um, the old style of children's Bibles where you just have all these independent stories and Sometimes people become heroes that are not really shouldn't be heroes. But remember that this story of Jesus in the wilderness is a part of the wider gospel story. And so we're going to look at it with that kind of perspective and look to unpack the story and look to what God's wanting to bring to our lives, bring and speak to us. And the first thing that draws attention to me as I read through this passage is the very first phrase, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And now, when you read that, I hope you kind of go like, huh? I hope that kind of puts a little bit of a, a, a question mark in your mind, like, really? You know, the last thing we read at the end of chapter 3 is Jesus is baptized, and the Holy Spirit of God comes on him, and he gets this awesome affirmation from the Father, this is my son, I love him, and I'm going to rest on him, and I'm not leaving him, right? And the next thing we see, that same Jesus, that moment, is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And that's a bit jarring to, I think, our normal ideas of what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. It is for me. 
You know, my my normal thoughts about the Holy Spirit is kind of like if if I'm living um, surrendered to the Holy Spirit, I have this expectation that, man, there's going to be mountaintops and there's going to be uh, great things. And I just want us to pause a little bit and look at what happens with Jesus when he's full of the Holy Spirit. His first, his first step as a surrendered one to the Spirit of God is out into the wilderness to face the devil. You know, I, when, I, when I'm facing the devil in dry times in my life, bless you, sweetie, when I'm facing the devil in dry times or in wilderness times, it's not like Jesus is the only one that has these, right? Any of you have a wilderness maybe in this last year? Maybe how many of us are going through a wilderness right now where it's challenging? You know, I have a tendency to kind of rise up and rebuke those things. You know, when I spend time with God, I'm going like, okay, I'm rebuking this wilderness. I'm like, I'm rebuking everything that's going on. I'm not supposed to be here. And I just want us to pause. And I don't want to say that every wilderness that we experience is God-ordained. But I do want us to pause and consider that maybe our theology needs to adjust a bit. You know, in Western, the Western idea of being full of God means something different than maybe what the scripture says. Because maybe being full of God leads us into valleys at times. It did with Jesus. So what does that mean for us? You know, how does that shape us? Jesus, being surrendered fully to the Spirit of God, followed him into the wilderness, which meant that's where God was going. And he's saying, come on. Come, Jesus, follow me. That's where he was going, out into the wilderness to be hungry for 40 days and face the devil. Let it sink in a little bit. Um, Before we jump into what I think grabs our attention the most here, which is these three encounters that Jesus has with the devil, before we do, I want to just point out something that it's easy for us to read past. And I want to slow down a little bit and back back up and kind of look at the bigger picture. So it says here in the first couple verses that Jesus went out into the wilderness. And even you look at the terminology that's used. It doesn't say he's just going out into the desert. That's where he was going. He was going out into the desert. But it says he was going out into the wilderness and he was going to fast for 40 days. Does that, does any of that sound like familiar language? If you imagine yourself being raised in this day and time, having heard the stories in this day and time, does that remind you of anything? Anybody? Yeah, does it remind you that most of these Hebrew children that were now Hebrew young adults and some older Jewish folks had heard the stories since they were little children? of remember how God led us out of Egypt and how we spent 40 years in the wilderness after we crossed that Red Sea. Remember, they walked through the Red Sea and then they spent 40 years in the wilderness preparing to enter into the promised land. See, that was a story that was super familiar to all of those that were raised in the Jewish culture. And so when in Matthew records and said Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, there's something going on here. 
And I want to point your attention to something that we have not read all the way through because we didn't start in chapter 1. But if you go back a little bit, you can look back into the second chapter of Matthew, and you see that Joseph and Mary, starting in verse 13, going down to verse 20, where are Joseph and Mary living as Jesus is a young child? They're living in Egypt. They're living in Egypt. And it goes through the story of how they leave Egypt, called by God to leave Egypt and come back to the promised land. And then what's the next thing we see that we talked about last week? Jesus is baptized and goes through the water. Jesus passes through the water, and then what's the very next thing? Jesus is out in the wilderness for 40 days. And I don't want to blow this up and say that this is what this is all about, but I will tell you this, that this was familiar language, and it was a reminder to those listeners of a very familiar story. And you better believe it got their attention. They're going like, wait a minute. This guy came out of Egypt, went through water, 40 days in the wilderness. Ding, ding, ding. It's reminding them of the beautiful story that is all through the word of God. That really is a singular story of God coming to rescue people out of slavery and to bring them into freedom. And so for them, it's grabbing their attention. And I just want to say, as we're going through this book together and this passage today, let it grab your attention. Be reminded that Jesus came to fulfill all this. And let it ring a bell in you. Look back and go, like, Egypt, going through the water, wilderness. That's kind of weird. That's kind of bizarre that there's that connection. Thank you, God for how you put things together. Thank you, God, for using those kind of practical things to get the attention of your people. It's pretty cool. Okay, let's jump into these three encounters that Jesus has with the devil. And uh, I'd say notice, first of all, that there's kind of a simple little pattern here. And as as we read through it, you're going to see that each one of these encounters has this kind of taunt from the devil. And the taunts are different in their wording, but they all kind of sound, they have this familiar kind of sound to them. And I want you to use your head and see if you can figure out where this is familiar from. Because it kind of comes across like, surely, surely you can turn these stones to bread. Surely you can throw yourself off of this tower. And because God cares for you, he's going to catch you before you hit the ground. And surely all this could be yours if you'll just bend your knee. So that's all through these, this taunt. And what it reminds me of is the very time, the very first time we see the devil come as a serpent and say to Eve, surely you can eat this fruit. You remember the terminology used? It was very much twisting the truth. Surely it's okay for you to eat this fruit. It's not going to hurt you. Very similar kind of taunt. And then what you also see is every one of these, there's a response that Jesus makes. And his response always comes, first of all, with these three words. It is written. It is written. So there's kind of a little cool, kind of familiar pattern that's through there. 
the very first uh, encounter that Jesus has with the devil is the first, is verse 3 and 4. And it really is the enemy looking to appeal to physical hunger. You know, the last thing it says before the tempter comes and says, Hey, Jesus, you're the son of God, right? Look at that stone right there. It kind of looks like a loaf of bread. Just speak to it and let it become bread for you. You could do that. Is that true? He could do it, right? He could do that. Jesus could have spoken to that stone to become a loaf of bread. But what was happening was the enemy was looking to twist things and trying to get Jesus to step out in action and do something that he wasn't being asked by God to do, but he was being tempted to do. And the enemy here is appealing to something very natural. If any of you have fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, you know that you would be like where Jesus is. You'd be hungry. You know, I, there's some of us that like, I fasted a meal today and I'm about to die. Like, like I, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. I've got to, I'm not going to make it through. I've got to eat an hour earlier than I was going to because I'm so hungry. Well, Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And um, that's a pretty miraculous fast. I wouldn't recommend anybody jumping off and trying that um, unless God's walked you through it and prepared you for that. But it says that Jesus was hungry. So the enemy is appealing to something that was a very real weakness that Jesus had. He was physically weak. And so his first shot is, look at that. looks just like a loaf of bread. Make it bread and eat it. You're the son of God. And Jesus responds back and says, no, that's not going to happen. And he refers back, he references back a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And guess what that passage is talking about? The children of Israel in the wilderness. All right? Remember this whole context of this story? You know, leaving Egypt, going through the water in the wilderness, heading to the promise. He refers back to the children of Israel in the wilderness, and in Deuteronomy 8, there's a little passage in there that talks about, remember when our God provided manna for us to teach us that man doesn't live by bread, but by what proceeds from God, what he gives, his word, his life. And so Jesus just turns it back right on the devil. Goes to the next uh, encounter that Jesus has with the devil, takes him up to the high point of this, this temple, and says, you're the son of God, throw yourself off. God loves you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. Again, trying to push Jesus to step out and take action for himself. I'll show you that God loves me. Does the father love Jesus? Yeah. And I... If Jesus was to throw himself off of that tower, I'm not sure what would happen. You know, I've got ideas, but that's not, that's just conjecture on my part. But Jesus, being 40 days in the desert fasting, was weak. And maybe even a bit spiritually weak. Maybe saying, I'll show you how much I can trust God. I'll throw myself down. He was tempting him to do that. Jesus, again, quotes, it is written, and he quotes now out of Deuteronomy 6. And again, guess what? It's a reference to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And it's a reference to when they were crying out to God, saying, we're out here in the wilderness and there's no water. 
And so God tells Moses, stand up and strike that rock. He strikes the rock, and he provides it. And it says that don't be like those children back then that didn't trust that God would take care of them and had to put God to the test by whining and complaining. And so God turns that on Satan. Another wilderness story that is pretty cool. The last uh, encounter that the devil has with Jesus here says he takes him up to a high mountain and he says, look at all this. All this can be yours if you just bend a knee right now. And that one, I'm kind of going like, all right, like that one's just kind of lame. Like, no way is Jesus going to bend a knee. But he was appealing again. There's weakness that Jesus has. He was fully human and fully God. We have a hard time getting our mind around that. As a human, I wrestle with wanting to be successful at times. I wrestle with wanting to see things go my way at times. Now, is that what I ultimately want? No, it's not ultimately what I want because I want God's way in my life. And I recognize that my way is not often God's way. God's way is God's way. And his ways are better and bigger than mine. And so ultimately, I want to surrender to his way. But Jesus here in his weakness, because he had weakness, It's hard for us to imagine it, but he had weakness and yet stayed the course. In my weakness, I usually cave. He had weakness, and part of it was maybe emotional weakness, where the devil is going to him and saying, okay, isn't it just about time that you had what's your due? What your due? You're the son of God from the beginning of creation. All this should be yours. Just take a knee right now and let it be done. And Jesus just turns with another, it is written, and just simply says, yeah, God alone is worthy. Worship God only. No one else deserves it. And so I think in looking at this, what I see is this kind of common taunt of the enemy pointing at Jesus And it doesn't say exactly these words, but this is what I get out of it. And he's constantly saying, Jesus, you can do this. You can do this. You can turn that stone into bread. You can throw yourself off and God will rescue you. You can have everything. And Jesus backs off from it and just points. The enemy's pointing at his chest saying, you can do this. Jesus backs off and points up and said, no, only God can do this. Only he's worthy of this. Only he can fill the hunger in my heart and soul. Only he can give me what I truly deserve. And only he can give me the care and love that he is so faithful to give. Only he can do that. No one can force his hand. And I just think it's worth looking at what happens with Jesus as he responds. And uh, I think there's a lot of things we can take from this passage because there's, you know, Jesus is our example in everything. So when I face a wilderness, when I'm facing the enemy coming to me, I want to do it like Jesus did. But there's more to this story, I think. Because as we look at this, I'm going to just turn real quickly. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read it so that you're knowing I'm not making it up here. But this... uh, 
this same story is in quite a few of the Gospels, a few of them. And in Luke chapter 4, I want to read you the beginning and the end of this story. Not the whole thing, but it's also in chapter 4 of Luke, just like it is in Matthew. And chapter 4, verse 1 of Luke says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went out into the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit. And then it goes through these temptations, and this is what it says when he came out of the the desert. If you remember it out of the wilderness, if you remember in Matthew, it just says that the devil left him and angels attended to him. God took care of him. But this is what it says. And I, when I read this, I caught this. It says, after the devil had finished all his tempting and he left Jesus until another opportune time. And then it says this. Now, Jesus came back out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I noticed that different phrase there. Jesus went out full of the Holy Spirit, but he came out, there's a different word on purpose that's used. He came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would just say that it's pretty clear as you read through this story that Jesus came out of the wilderness stronger than how he went in. Even though he'd fasted 40 days, he came out stronger. Now, how did he come out stronger? Was he physically stronger? Probably not. Probably because of fasting for 40 days, he was weaker. His emotions and his spiritual, just all of that was probably weaker, if we're going to be honest. But you know how he came out stronger? He came out fully trusting in God. I can be pretty sure that Jesus didn't come out going, "Eh, I beat the devil. He came out trusting and relying fully on God. There's a really cool word picture that I want to share with you out of Song of Solomon. And uh, it's at the very end of this book. And it's just a one verse thing. And I want you to just, I want you to envision this. Song of Solomon 8.5, it says, Who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? And depending on the Bible translation you have, in my Bible, that beloved is capitalized because it's referring to God and I think this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus looked like coming out of the wilderness he came out stronger he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit but he didn't come out like this like yeah he came out leaning on his father leaning fully on the father which was what Jesus needed to be able to have the trajectory to follow through with what God was inviting him to. Leaning more fully on God than he ever had. For Jesus, his wilderness, and I guess more specifically the testing that he went through brought about an increase in power and authority. I think that's often true with all our wilderness. I think oftentimes the challenges, the difficulties, the trials, the hardships that we face, oftentimes they're pathways for us into greater authority, greater clarity, and greater trust in God. And sometimes we beat ourselves up, like I'm in a kind of a a challenging thing, and we feel like that shows diminished faith. I just want to reassure you. And whatever wilderness you're walking through, Jesus is wanting to use it. 
He's wanting to leverage that wilderness to bring about in your life and in my life a greater sense of clarity, a greater sense of trust. It's probably not meant to look like you came running through the finish line with your arms raised up. It's probably meant to look like you're coming through the finish line leaning on your beloved, leaning more fully on God and trusting him. So what's our takeaway for this morning? Um, Because I think there's a few things that we can look at. It might be that this passage kind of points us to a different perspective about wilderness. You know, that may be a little bit of a tipping point where we're going like, man, being full of the Spirit might mean wilderness for me. Like, okay, I want to adjust my thought process. I think that's, that's a real thing that this passage points to. That as we are full of God, we should not expect, we should anticipate the opposite from life being always a mountaintop. The valleys and the wilderness are important times for our development and growth in our trusting our good Father. They are a part of it. If you just live on the mountaintop, you're not going to trust God very deeply. It's when you go through the wilderness times, and he makes himself known, and he rescues you, and we fail. I fail in half of my wilderness experiences, probably maybe all of them. I think half of my do okay, but that's probably because I'm not seeing it clear. We fail. But may we be free of the shame, the self-imposed shame. May we be free of ever imposing shame on others if they're going through a challenging time that like maybe points a finger because the enemy is real good at pointing fingers. May we not be those kind of people other than to point a finger to God and say, no, God's, God's only worthy. He alone knows what's going on in your life and praying for you with him. But it might be that it adjusts, gives you a helpful, helpful perspective about what your wilderness times might be like or others. Or it might also be that this passage points us to some really helpful tools for how to face the enemy, because I think it does do that. You know, Jesus gives us a really cool example. It is written. Jesus clearly lays a pathway for us and says, you want to fight the enemy? Gird yourself in truth. Remember Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Put the belt of truth all the way around you, front and back. Be girded in the truth. When the enemy's taunts are going toward us, sometimes they almost sound like truth, but it's twisted. And as we gird ourselves in the truth, we can find protection and we can find help from God. And so I think you can get that out of this passage, but I honestly think that that's not the biggest thing we get. I think that mostly this story should point us to Jesus. Mostly this story should point us to the one that did what we couldn't do. That's why it's called good news. You know, some of you might have been Christians for a long time, and sometimes we can get into thinking that Jesus came to make me a better me. Uh, That's not the truth. He didn't come to just make you a better you. He didn't go through the wilderness and fight the enemy like he did just to give us better tips for how we can then go fight the enemy. It can do some of that, but he came to win it for us. That's why it's called good news, gospel. Jesus said, I'm facing the devil and I'm defeating him in a way that you never have been able to and you never will be able to. So yeah, I want to glean some of these other things 
But I don't want us to miss the big picture, which is Jesus fought the fight for you, won the battle for you, defeated the enemy for you and for me. We need Jesus. I need to lean on him. God forbid that I would ever get to a point in my life where I think, I got this, Lord. I got it. It's exactly what the devil wants me to think. I need Jesus, and we get Jesus, and we get his record. We get his record. He's been able to do what we could never do. He's been able to bring defeat to the enemy of our soul. So I just want to say, where are you being tested right now? Where are you being tested about trusting God? Where are you being tempted to kind of take things into your own hands and into your own power and just say, I'm just going to do this? Jesus is our better way. We can trust him. Whatever wilderness you're facing or maybe that you're just coming through whatever valley his hope for you today isn't that you'd do better and you'd be stronger his hope for you today is that you'd lean on your beloved that is right by your side and is cheering you on and is saying come on close i got this you don't got to do this yourself i got this that's the gospel